25th, and this is Season 6, Episode 33 of the Four Star Spurs Podcast. I'm your host, Joe. With me this week are Catherine. Hello, hello. And Jeff. Hello. How are you both doing today? Doing well, but also not wanting to have this conversation because we all know how exciting it's going to be. I was going to say, I don't know if you've both recovered from the enthralling uh, expedition of football that we witnessed at the weekend. It's uh, It was, what do you think, Jeff? It was a classic, right? You've been watching it on um, repeat ever since, right? You've been re-watching the game. At the pub, Catherine and I were talking about, like, oh, should we rewatch the game? And no, there's no reason. There's nothing to look at. Also, it felt like it was just the Brighton game carried over to another week. So, same old, same old. I was actually just going to say that I was listening to View from the Lane from, I think it was released today, and Charlie Eccleshare was saying the same thing, where it just seemed like a fever dream of one match, but it was two put together in a way because with Brighton not getting any shots on goal and then with uh, Brentford not getting any shots on goal or the games that it just seemed all like an amalgamated match. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it was a pretty insipid performance. Um, There's no two, no two ways about that. Yeah. Let's, so (laughs) I guess let's get into it then. Um, So we played Brentford. Um, on Saturday, April the 16th, and it was nil-nil, and it was a very much a nil-nil. It was the absolute nil-nil. Um, so, you know, you've both made kind of your, given some opening thoughts there. For me, I've got to say, how can the team go from scoring nine goals in two games against Newcastle and Villa to playing, like, you'd say they're pretty similar level teams, aren't they? Newcastle and Villa, Brighton and Brentford. The, the four teams are, you know, in the same ballpark standard-wise. So that crazy leap to then having zero shots over 180 minutes on target. Um, what do we, someone try and make sense of it for me, please. Explain how, <laughs> why, what's going on? It means that Matt Doherty is the MVP of the Tottenham <laughs> season, right? So actually, on the on the View from the Lane podcast, one of them, I think it might have been Pitbrook, brought up the fact that somebody pointed out that Decky has really slid off these last two games without Doherty there with him. I mean, obviously the drop to Royale is pretty bad, but um, it does seem to be hampering you know, uh, Decky's freedom. Although he also looks slower now too. The whole team looks slow. They are so slow moving the ball around, trying to get upfield. It's like, it's kind of horrifying to watch. I wasn't going to say slow, but I, my adjective for the game was going to be toothless where, especially after Brighton, like what we were just saying that there were no shots on goal for either match, but especially after the Brighton game where, I think that that one was a little bit more exciting, even though it wasn't exciting at all, um, in that you would think, and this team and the players on the pitch usually have rebounded fairly well after games like that. And so I was thinking, okay, the, we're, it's a, we're playing a, another London club. We're going to be up against Christian Eriksen. It's going to be this whole pomp and circumstance. And then... It was just toothless. And that was the most confusing thing for me because 
usually, like I said, they there is some some like need to go and prove themselves, and yet it wasn't there. And it seemed a little bit of like a bumbling performance as well, where, and I don't remember the time code or anything during the match, but there was that one instance of it looked like a pinball machine where nobody knew how to kick a ball or if you could kick a ball, not to kick it into somebody else on Brentford and Brentford ended up clearing it. And so you get instances like that where I don't know what Conte is doing during, during training, but it just seemed a little bit haphazard and bumbling and toothless. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's been like, honestly, this season, this feels like this season has been going for like five years, but it's it's the same season where we had Nuno <laughs> at the start of the season. It's just, honestly, it's it's been so, I don't know about the two of you, but I've, I've followed Tottenham a long time and this is, I'm so drained by this season. I find, I've found it so frustrating. Um, I feel like we've had really, really good games like punctuated every now and again, you know, like the Everton game and then the the Villa game. And, you know, there's been a few really good games, but for the most part, we have been quite uninspiring to watch. I would say, you know, obviously Nuno's time, but even with Conte, we've been, you know, we've had spells like this as well. Um, And it's difficult because you look at the Villa game and you think, okay, first half we were terrible, but then second half we completely blew them away. Similarly against Newcastle, first half, you know, okay, but second half again. So I think that's why he's persisting with that front three that, you know, you alluded to, Jeff, like um, Kulosevsky has not been as good in the last few games, but maybe if someone scores and it just ignites the team and then they score three or four goals, that seems to be it, right? We we really struggle to make that breakthrough. But then when we do, it's kind of a drought or famine situation, all or nothing. We either score four or five or we score zero and have no shots. It's, there's like no middle ground. It's it's so strange. And it's it's not even just us. I mean, the season is so weird because other than Liverpool and City, you know, everybody else who's like a contender has been wildly inconsistent, Right. Um, I guess the best thing that we can say is that at least we and the Gooners have kind of broken free of everybody else and we're the last two standing for fourth because United's already gone to the beach. They're not playing anymore. Yeah, West Ham's fallen off. Um, Wolves have fallen off. So at, at least we we stumbled less than the other guys did, but everybody is stumbling. And I don't know if it's because the other 12 Premier League teams are just that much better now. You know, and there isn't as wide a disparity um, between teams. But, you know, everybody's been face planting down. You know, Chelsea, um, ever since the uh, the uh, the sanctions and everything, they've kind of the wheels have come off the bus there, too. So um, there's just a, it's not really a big six little 14 anymore. It doesn't seem. Yeah, no, good good point there, Jeff. And that actually makes I do feel quite quietly confident about the long term, you know, beyond the end of this season, even if we don't finish top four, um, for the kind of reasons you alluded to. Chelsea, they are obviously not gonna have the financial clout that they've had and they may drop off. I can't see their top earners wanting to hang around if they're not 
you know the financial situation there isn't the same as it has been and I still think Arsenal are terrible I just think we're also terrible (laughs) you know you mentioned United I don't Ten Hag is a good manager but I don't know if he can fix them overnight you know we've seen other good managers come in and and struggle to do that at Manchester United recently so I actually think we're in a good place medium term but I don't know where this leaves us in terms of the top four race and we're actually what we'll do is briefly before the break we'll we'll kind of touch on we'll we'll, we'll all put ourselves on the spot to be laughed at because we're going to kind of predict how that's going to play out not that you can really predict with Spurs so it comes with a huge caveat that no one can predict it, but we'll, we'll do our best. Um, in terms of this game, honestly, I am really struggling to find even any talking points. The best I can come up with is it was good to see Ericsson playing. It, shame he wasn't in our team, but what, what did um, what did the two of you make of, of Ericsson? Catherine, what did you think of, of how he did? I thought it was... It's amazing that he he literally died on the pitch and now he's back playing in the Premier League. And I think that's a feat of medicine and science and the and his human body, just that it was as a as a foundational piece of information, I was like, this is amazing to see him. Of course, when he left, it was contentious circumstances, and so um I was personally was okay with him departing Spurs, but after you're seeing him on Saturday, I was thinking, okay, it wouldn't be so bad if he came back because he, you forget the, the skill and the knowledge and the intelligence that he has until you watch him. And then you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) like this man is insane. And that was one of the bright spots that I thought of just the game against Brentford was Erickson in general. Um, but also, I was going to say that, speaking of Ericsson, that later in the match, and maybe this isn't so much a talking point, but I did find, as my opinion goes, I did find that the both teams started to kind of understand what the game of football is about, where they're like, oh, shit, we need to score. And they had their amazing set-piece routine that Erickson had his free kick off of and then it hit the post, thankfully. And then um and that was I think a little bit later during the match. And then also, not speaking of Erickson though, but uh one bright spot for Spurs, I thought, was when Kane got a volleyed ball from I think uh was it Royal, I think. And uh also at the end of the match and it slightly fizzed by the the post which I know that's not a shot on goal but at least it was something of oh that that could have been a spark for us even though it ended up not being a spark but those were two things that I was going to mention with you having said that you couldn't think of anything to talk about it was was almost on target it was like two inches away from the tap which is as close as we've come into the last two games to scoring and it would to be fair that was a really good effort by Kane it was a not an easy chance and acrobatics um yeah Catherine I mean I'm with you on well everything but Ericsson I I know it's easy to say in hindsight and with it like you said the medical situation made it maybe a risky 
like proposition, I guess, to try and go for him in January. But I think Brentford had lost. Um, they lost. Was it? I think seven in eight. And then they signed Ericsson. And since he's come in the team, they've won five out of six, I think. They were so very poor, and now they're yeah. very good. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, like, for sure. He's been absolutely instrumental in in that turnaround. Um, put you on the spot as well, then, Jeff. So, I mean, Catherine are both a, a yay for having Ericsson back, I guess, either this summer or some. What about yourself? How do you, how do you feel about that potential? Yeah. Christian Eriksen was my favorite Spurs player and still is of all um, of all time. Um, and I had this conversation on the podcast when, you know, the, the rumors were that he was coming to Brentford. And I was all for that because I thought it was better for him to come back in a low stress environment um, and take his time and everything instead of jumping into a top six squad and with all that pressure, as it turned out, it wouldn't have mattered. He'd only play once a week for us anyway, since <laughs> we dropped out of everything. But um, so at the time, my feeling was good. Let him go play at Brentford for half a season, and then we can make a play for him in the summer. And so um, I'm still sticking to that. I still think that was better than us getting him in January because he still wouldn't have played for us until about the same time as he did for Brentford anyway. So I do hope we make a move for him in the summer and I do hope he comes back. Uh, and I think he would, I mean, it, it's funny. The joke has been like on all the social media, right? Is who do you get to replace Erickson? You know, but Erickson himself. Um, and that, that may be the only solution we can come up with. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, and on Kane real quick too. The other uh, Kane also had that head headed clearance on defense yeah. towards the end. That was pretty vital too. So even though he really didn't have much of a game, he did have, you know, our, our only good offensive moment and probably our best defensive moment. Yeah. Yeah. He's a better defender than most of our actual defenders, to be fair. Speaking um, of Erickson and, and Joe, you, you'll probably talk about this l- later with, uh, Pochettino Conti situation but one thing with Erickson though is that I'm afraid of we let go of these players for a reason Mm. and although I would like to see Erickson Erickson come back would it open the floodgates to be like oh well Alderweireld's in Hmm. the UAE or Dubai or, or Qatar or something and should he come back then too? Or uh, who? I, I'm, of, I'm trying to think of, of other players. Who, yeah, like <laughs> Gareth Bale. Oh, well, other that, players that. that, that... <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It, it's nostalgia. Nostalgia can be, uh, you know. Especially because when Pochettino came in, he did the same thing with um, with so many other players like Capu or uh, Townsend, where he's like you're not good enough for the squad now. So we're going to let you go. And I think not, or not that Erickson's not good enough because like what we've all agreed upon that he would be welcome to come back, but it's the, the fear of yeah. Nostalgia combined with um, like we, you can't go back to your ex in a way. And that's that's why it's difficult for me to wrap my head around if we are in for Ericsson or for any other player who we've had before. And you uh, know, for for that matter, the the ultimate going back. But yeah, yeah, we're just living on living on memories, right? We're going back 
he was a good player. Let's get him. Good manager in the past. But um, yeah, yeah, for sure, Catherine, you make a good, a good point. And I, and I agree. When it, when he left, I think people were okay with, with him leaving. Um, I don't know. Like, he went to Inter and won the league, but I don't think he wasn't often playing at Inter. Um, under Conte, uh, ironically as well, uh, Conte didn't really pick him much at first and then he gradually kind of won him over. So maybe Conte, based on the fact that Ericsson gradually won him, won his respects, that might influence that Conte would like him. As, I, I agree. I, I mean, I think he wouldn't be a starter. I think he'd be more a squad player. And to be honest, if you look at our squad um, at the moment, You'd absolutely 100% look to if he was on the bench for us, we'd have brought him on surely the last couple of games in the 60th minute or something, wouldn't we? For a, for a midfielder, so I think he would have improved us. Um, I think we've done a valiant job of talking about one of the worst games of football I've ever seen in my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say one other quick thing about it is that you know, in the aftermath, there's been all the screams from the fan base about, um, Oh, we need to change formation, right? Or, right. Yeah. But um, I still don't understand that. I don't know what you two think because obviously Conte doesn't trust the guys on the bench, and we've been much better since we've only played once a week, and we don't have to see Harry Weeks, we don't have to see Davison Sanchez, and so yeah. on and so forth. So I don't understand these people who want to change formation. And you know, Skip can't play; he's injured. So you you want to trot Winks out there for 90 minutes? That makes no sense to me at all. But And we don't have any other wingbacks that we can throw. Yes, our wingbacks are bad, but it's not like we have a good guy hanging out in the locker room that we're not playing. So um, I don't know how a formation change helps. Well, so a lot of, I wonder what the two of you think about this. A lot of people have suggested, because to your point, Jeff, I think it's, the wing, like this system is so dependent on wing backs and a bang average wing back like Matt Doherty made this team look a lot better than a demonstrably terrible wing back in Emerson Royale, who it's not like, it's not really his fault. He's a right back and he's been asked to play in a different position and his skill set doesn't suit right wing back, whatever. You know, I know we've talked about that a lot on this podcast in the past. Um, but I think that's where the clamor comes from, right? It's just like where 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 we've got a system that's like really reliant on two players and neither of them are going to be any good. If it's Sessignon, who just hasn't been doing it, in my opinion, Regulon, who again, I, I think he's really underwhelmed based on our expectations. And then Emerson, who just, he's just not a right wing back in a million years. I think we'd be probably better off we put him. Lucas Mora there and just just trying it out like just as a you know he can't we we having no shots on goal in two games like we can't do any worse like it's maybe try that what do you think Catherine I it's such a tough question because I could see Conte changing up a few of the players probably not the formation though but I don't like we're so far into the season that he can't really be like to to hell with it. I'm just going to throw on all these homegrown players that are from the academy system who we have no idea about. But then also he probably doesn't want to put on Royal or Sessignon or or he's not as big of a fan. I don't think of Lucas Moore as Nuno or Jose was. Um 
And so there are those players that are more substitute-ish um, or a substitute adjacent that I could see playing more, but then also, yeah, he, he doesn't trust them, but then also is he trusting the formation that he puts out now? Um, and then how can you, with so few games left, how can you kind of spice things up where it was working out well with Skip and Hoybjerg and Bentoncourt or, uh, but then on some match days that core three didn't work. And so it's, it's a crapshoot to figure out what he's going to do because he's very much of a meticulous, methodical manager. Apparently I like alliteration as well. Um, But, (laughs) but I think that uh, he, I'm just kind of rambling now, but uh, who's to say? Like, nobody can get really get into his mind. Yeah. I know that other, like, when we did have Jose, you could probably tell more of what he was thinking and what his next steps would be. But Conte seems a little bit more of an enigma than Jose, and so that's why it's tough to really know if he's going to change up the formation, what players he's going to put out, even though he does tend to stick with his players. You never know what he's actually going to do. Yeah, no, I, I think you make a really good point. It's it's too late in the season, isn't it, to try something. If you still were in the Europa Conference League, you could maybe experiment a little bit. Um, but there's there's five games left, and I, I, I'm, I think you're right. He's going to stick with his preferred system and his preferred personnel, and it, let's hope that they start playing a bit better. Um Okay, good job, the two of you, for getting something out of that insipid affair that we witnessed. So let's do, I mean, this is going to be, this. I'm going to really challenge you both now because we're going to do MVP, LVP, LVP less so, MVP. How's that for a challenge? Jeff, go. Oh, MVP, I had it down to two. One, uh, Hugo, um, you had to make some saves and keep us in. Um, especially really late, but I think I'm going to go with Romero. I thought he had a great all-around game, um, especially defensively down the end after, you know, his uh, um, boondoggle against Brighton. He came back and made up for it in a big way, I thought. So I'm going to give it to Romero. Yeah. Catherine, what do you reckon? I agree with you, Jeff, on MVP, at least with the Hugo side. I think that with or even Kane, his uh, his goalkeeping prowess was coming back with that headed clearance, and then um, yeah, like what you had spoken about. But uh, MVP, I would say Hugo, and then LVP, I would. Can I just say the rest of the team? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the, it's called least value. I know I say this pretty much every time I'm on, but it's least valuable player. None of them were valuable because we didn't have a shot on goal. Our passes weren't great. We they're professional footballers and it does not look like it, at least for this game. And so I'm, I feel like the disappointed mom who's, who (laughs) has their children come back home all muddied after not in like church, like church clothes. And I'm like, just like, Oh, how dare you get your clothes dirty. I'm disappointed. That's how I'm feeling right now with them. Yeah. I mean, you get all excited for a Saturday 
late kick late-ish our time late kickoff and it really underwhelms massively and um I guess I'll, I'll quickly jump in with my L. I, well, M- MVP, I agree with you both. Romero, uh, I love Romero. He, yeah, definitely MVP. Um, LVP, I'm going to say Son. I thought he was really bad. Yeah. really. Actually, I'm going to kind of go away from what I just, just occurred to me. Kulisevsky, I know we talked about him. Now, I... I'm going to caveat this by saying when I was on a podcast, uh, Forced Aspers, we did a preview of the Euros and I tipped Kulisevsky when he was a Juventus player has been the one to watch and I bigged him up before we signed him. So that's my, I've been so bad at predictions all season. I'm going to take the little glory I can by by saying that and drawing attention to that. But it, Just because you're the host today does not mean <laughs> that you can do this. <laughs> well, you want to see my record for predictions this season. I think I'm probably, if I'm not bottom, then there's someone who's really bad because I'm, I'm wrong every week. Um, it's between those two. That's where I'm going with this. Kulisevsky and the Sun were both. Uh, Kane, like you said, Catherine, gets uh, gets away with it because he defended well and he almost scored a great goal at the end. But um, Jeff, who's your, who's your LVP? My LVP? Well... Um, I'm going to go with your guy, Decky. I think I think he's been great, but yeah, he's really tailed off these last two games. He he used to make the runs inside, um, and he doesn't seem to be doing that anymore. He just seems to be running out of gas. Although it was really close between him and Sessegnon. Sessegnon, I'm going to cut some slack since he's coming back from injury. But man, those crosses into the third row all the time no. uh, were pretty bad. And when they yeah when they subbed him out, um, yeah, we seemed to play better um after that point but yeah i I still think overall it was decky for this game yeah awesome good stuff so just before we before we go into the into the break um real real quick so catherine you alluded to this um it's basically a straight fight now i would say unless there's something drastic in manchester united start winning every single game um it's basically us and Arsenal for the fourth spot. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the spot and myself just to make it fair. Um, I'm really quickly gonna run through the five games that both of us have got five games left. So for for Tottenham, we've got Leicester, which we'll preview in the second half of the podcast. Then we've got a nice easy one, Liverpool away. That's obviously three points, you know. Um, then we play one another. It's Tottenham and Arsenal, and we're at home. Crucially, then we've got. Burnley home, Norwich away. So that's our five. Arsenal's five. They've got West Ham away. Leeds home. Then they play us. Then Newcastle away and Everton home. Now, I don't want you to go for every game individually, but just with that context of of those fixtures, um, they're two points ahead of us. How do you see this? panning out i'm gonna pick one of you i'm gonna pick one of you Catherine. come on what do you what do you reckon is gonna happen okay i'll i'll step up and do it well even though you <laughs> picked me <laughs> to go first um i think i think we could do it um especially knowing who our players are who really go balls to the wall like Dyer, Hugo, Kane, Son normally um after these past two matches I think that they realize now this is me going off of nothing by the way but uh like I have no 
ITK knowledge of the training ground or anything, but I would think that they understand the the realistic the reality of what's going to happen if we don't showcase our talent over the next five matches. And although Liverpool will probably be the worst one, we also do have the North London Derby. And so every other game should be, knock on wood, uh, winnable. And I'm not saying that they're going to be easy, but they should be winnable. Where if we're playing Leicester at home and then Burnley at home and then away to Norwich, those are teams that historically and this season, we we have so much better quality on the pitch that we should be able to win. Um, I think it's just those two matches of Liverpool and, and the North London Derby that scare me a little bit, but also we know we know what we have. And again, this is me just going off of nothing, but, uh, but my belief in the players that they understand the, the importance of going out and, and winning. And especially for the North London Derby, Liverpool is a little bit more acceptable. I would say if we lose, but maybe, I, I don't know, maybe a draw at Anfield, that would be nice. Um, but I think that none of these are dead rubber matches, of course, but I think that we could pip, uh, Arsenal for, for fourth and push them down. Well, good stuff, Catherine. I like your optimism. Jeff, what are you saying? Um, I agree. I think we'll pip Arsenal for fourth. It's too late at night to do any math. <laughs> good, I was gonna... expecting a, some sort of <laughs> look up against the points. Come on. What... Yeah, let me pull up my spreadsheet. <laughs> um, but I think Arsenal has been like us in that they'll have the shock losses to teams that you don't expect. And they've got a couple of them coming up. Most especially, I think Everton will beat them in the final game because I think Everton is going to need that game to stay up. And I think uh, that'll be the biggest shock of all. Um, it's like so the redemption I, of Delhi. Oh my yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> Delhi will get a hat trick in that game if he finally gets off the bench for them. Um, but yeah, so I think I think we'll clear it by like three, maybe three points at the end. Wow, I'm loving I'm loving your optimism here, folks. I, I'm not really as confident um so i'm glad that they play newcastle newcastle are really really good at the moment um they've won six in a row at home and arsenal have to go there and that could help us um west ham away west ham may be distracted by uh the europa exploits so i'm not sure if they're going to be fully at it against arsenal but maybe if they grab a point um, but I, I actually think we're going to beat Arsenal. I'm confident about that game, but I think we're, you're not going to like what I'm going to say. I think we're going to blow it because I think we're going to like, I, I hear what you're saying, Catherine, that they'll get up for it because they see what's, but they've, they've, these were huge games against Brighton and um, Brentford and they just didn't show up at all. So I, like, I actually think we're going to end the season really well and we'll beat Arsenal and we'll beat Burnley and Norwich, but I, I think we'll, Spoiler alert, I don't think we're going to beat Leicester. I think we're going to do another of these ridiculously underwhelming showings and maybe get a 1-1 or something. And I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just being honest. I, I, I have little faith right now. So, 
yeah taught me off a ledge. You've already taught me off a ledge. I feel better going with what you're saying. I'm ignoring my, my, I'm such a pessimist that you shouldn't listen to me. Well, and I think my, uh, quote unquote positivity is only because I've been to the North London Derby that was at Wembley and it scared the shit out of me because Hmm. that was one where Lacazette had like an 89th minute off the post And they almost um, drew with us, but we actually did win. But after that match and having been at a North London Derby, I, similar to you, Joe, where I feel confident enough in saying that I think that we can, because just the atmosphere, the, it's palpable when you're at that game and you know that the players understand what it means. And so at least for that one, I'm confident, maybe positive, um, but it's more of the place for me of exterior. It's positive, but my tone of voice is very monotonous. <laughs> and so I'm like, do I believe my positivity? I don't know. Well, it would be typical Spurs to beat Arsenal like four or five nil and then lose two nil at Norwich on the last day, wouldn't it? And you know, that would be, that would be classic. Honestly, like to, to caveat the pessimism of my prediction, you know, here, I am thinking we're in a good place. I don't think it's going to kill us if we miss. It's such a shame if we do miss out, it'll be to of all bloody teams, Arsenal. If it was against, you know, Leicester or just Man United or something, it wouldn't be as, as, as grating as this potential is, but yeah, let's, let's see what happens. And, um, yeah, it's going to be, ex- well, I'd say it's going to be exciting, but every time I watch one of our games, I've almost fallen asleep. But it, it, the drama's, it, it, there's the drama there, there's narrative there, right? So let's 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 go for that. Um, it's exciting for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exciting when the games aren't on. You know, talking about the things that aren't related to the actual matches themselves, it's, it's all good. Um, all right, on that happy note, let's go in, Catherine. Um, Spurs women's update. Take it away. Perfect. Thank you, Joe. And hi to all the listeners. I'm Catherine, as you probably all well know, since I'm talking on the podcast right now. But after a bit of a lengthy stay away, I'm back with the Spurs Women segment. So first, I'm going to run through the results, and then we'll look at the fixtures. So, and I say results as in they're recent, but quote unquote recent, because they're not very that recent if you're following what I'm saying. But um, so with that being said, we're traveling back to February 13th when Tottenham with 71% possession and seven shots on target, unlike the men's team now who can't get a shot on target uh, Spurs comfortably beat Birmingham city two nil defender. Ashley Neville scored in the 66th minute as Rhea Percival followed up with her goal in the 81st. Then on Sunday, March 6th, Spurs played to a nil-nil draw against Reading. It was a frustrating match because Percival, Bartrip, Suminen, and Clemeron all received yellow cards throughout the game. And with a nil-nil draw, as we know from the men, is not an exciting game. (laughs) The following week then was a chance to really have the team go for it when Manchester City came to London. Unfortunately, City's Caroline Weir scored in the 64th, and that match ended with a 1-0 City win. Then Spurs didn't play again until Sunday, April 3rd, 
as there was international break and a COVID outbreak. So there should have been two London derbies with uh, Spurs having been slated to play Chelsea and then a few days later Arsenal. But as it happened, like I said, there were uh, there was international break plus too many COVID cases. So those matches did not happen. So when Spurs eventually did play on the 3rd of April, it should have and could have been a nice way to be reintroduced to the league after a couple weeks away. But that thought came crashing down to earth when Aston Villa's Petzelberger, which can I just say that's an incredible name, Petzelberger, uh, scored in the 87th minute for Villa to travel back to Birmingham with three points. So after all of those poor results, you'd think I would end their most recent results with a win. And sadly, that will not happen as Spurs played Chelsea yesterday on the 24th of April. And Chelsea sadly overpowered them to a 3-0 win. So that's all the results. And now let's turn to the fixtures. So what's coming up on the fixture horizon? And the answer is quite the slog. First up is a match against Chelsea again. This coming Thursday, March 28th or April 28th, sorry. Oh my gosh. It's 2022 and it's April. So April 28th, they play against Chelsea. Then just a few days later, Spurs travel up to Liverpool and play Everton on Sunday, May 1st. Then Spurs are back in London on Wednesday, May 4th, when Arsenal play host to Spurs as the North London Derby will be held at the Emirates. And then that weekend is the last women's Super League game of the season. And for all of you who do live in the big smoke, it's one to keep your radar on. So listen up for that one. It's Sunday, May 8th, with the kickoff time of 12.30 p.m. local. Spurs will play Leicester City at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And tickets are available on the Spurs website with adult tickets priced at £6.50. So, um Go there if you're in London or London adjacent and uh, cheer on our Spurs women. And then, uh, so now that I've gone through the fixtures and results, some news for the currently fifth place side in the league table. In mid-April, there were some new re-signings that happened. The first was that head coach Rianne Skinner signed a new contract that runs until 2024. And then although she's been sidelined with rehab from an ACL injury, Kit Graham did pen a new contract running through June 2023 with an option to sign for another year. And then what's more, the stalwart defender and many fan favorite, Ashley Neville, also signed a new contract running through April or running through 2025. And then lastly, Captain and Canadian gold medalist Shalina Zadorsky has signed a contract that today uh she signed it uh runs for a further year until 2023 so despite a downturn of results those new contract signings and a further integration of skinner's playing style with having her contract run a little bit further only spells good things for spurs women so i had no questions so that's a quick update for you I'm always around to be a resource for anything Tottenham, men's team, Spurs women, or as Joe and Jeff probably could be as well. Uh, for If you're traveling to London from the U.S., we're always available to answer your questions. Um, as for me, though, feel free to message me on Twitter at Catherine Rupp or to force our Spurs. And that's it for me. Come on, you Spurs.
Awesome. Thank you very much, Catherine. That's so fifth in WSL. Eh? I mean, the Tottenham women's team has really improved in the last few years to think mm-hmm. where they were, you know, in the past. They were, I remember they weren't even in the same league they are now, but when they would play Arsenal or Chelsea, one of the traditionally bigger women's teams, they would get, you know, beaten pretty mm-hmm. thoroughly. And now at least, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty close and they're, they're on an upwards trajectory. So, so that's great to see. That's yeah. great to see. Well, and and I know I said that they're in fifth. Uh, they were recently in third, and then with some of the results, they've dropped a few spots. But um, but fifth in the in the Super League, and with so much happening with COVID and and travel, and sometimes pitches are not the best in in the women's game, and so uh, they sometimes have to reschedule matches when it's not waterlogged or anything like that. And so they do have a lot of things coming at them. And so fifth is very respectable. And I think Skinner is going to do continue doing uh, amazing things. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, great to hear. Great to hear. And thank you as, as always for for your update there. Much appreciated. Um, So before we jump into a preview of the Leicester city game, the next uh, next game that we have to, and I use this term very loosely, look forward to, um, quote unquote, look forward to. We there's some news. Um, well, I say news. That's probably not the, really the. There's some speculation. Let's put it that way. Um, so Maurizio Pochettino won the league trophy for PSG. Go Poch. Um, now, the more cynical of you may say that's not much of an achievement winning the league trophy with PSG, but they didn't win it last year. So it's uh, there's, that's something. It's progress. And, you know, good for Poch. Um, but he's going to be rewarded by being fired <laughs> by the look of things, which is, you know, great. That's how life works for a, a club like PSG, I guess. Um, so anyway, you've probably all seen the talk about this, that they apparently... There's some interest in them going for Kante. He's apparently the bookie's favourite at the moment, so I'm reliably informed, for the PSG job. And if he were to go to Tottenham, it could be the case that Pochettino would come back to Spurs. You're all familiar with the what, what I'm talking about here. Um, I guess my question, there's a lot of questions here, but let's, let's just say, let's focus on Kante f- first of all. Um, how do we feel about the... Lack of like stability. I I don't know if this is just me projecting my own personal feelings, but I just feel like Conte. I I don't feel safe that he's gonna stay any like for the long term or even the medium term. How, um, Catherine? What do you feel about that? Do you think there's a good chance he'd leave this uh, this early? I would hope not. I think that with so much turbulence, kind of like what you're alluding to, Joe, with our managerial positions being kind of haphazard and all over the shop in the past three, four years that we need some stability. We need a manager to really integrate their system and kind of like Spurs women. Um, And it's tough because Conte isn't necessarily known for being, especially with, with Spurs, at least he's not going to be known for being a, a manager like Pochettino who everyone wants to just buy into the system where 
I know that that's happened now, but I think that if if players don't know Conte's future, how can they truly buy in? Because otherwise, if somebody, if uh, Graham Potter or Pochettino or, um, uh, I don't know, if Jesse Marsh gets booted from Leeds and then we uh, we pick him up or something, like, the players won't know what to do if they're like, well, if a new manager is coming in next season, how how am I supposed to trust the current manager and trust the owners? And so from my perspective, I think it would be better to have Conte stay, but also I don't know if he himself believes that he's the best fit for the job at Tottenham. That was a roundabout way of saying all of that. <laughs> Jeff, what what are your thoughts on the whole the whole situation? The Kante gate. Um, I don't believe the the PSG links. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, PSG is notorious for micromanaging their managers, and you know that he he's blown up with every ownership group that's done that to him in the past. Um, he doesn't have a Champions League success record, and that's yeah. what PSG wants, right? The Qatar wants a Champions League cup. Um, I don't think they would go to him to get that. So it doesn't really make sense either way to me. And going down from the Premier League to League One doesn't really make a lot of sense either. So I, I don't believe it, but I think Kante is smart as hell to use all this to his advantage. Um, I think he he's being cagey and he's refusing to commit to everything because he wants Levy to prove that he's going to back him this summer. If he does, I think he'll be fine to sign an extension and stay here like three years. I don't think there's any way he'll be here five years from now, but at least three years from now, if, if he knows he's going to get the backing he wants. And I don't think he could care less whether the players are unsettled or not, because frankly, I think he wants half of them gone anyway. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he doesn't trust that bench at all. Um, you know, he tries tries to use as few of the guys he has as possible. So um, I think he's just using, you know, every card that he has that he's been dealt um, to try to come out with a strong position this summer. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I really hope that's the case, Jeff, that he's playing a kind of a political game. But I, I, I just find it a bit unsettling. Every time we have a bad result, um I think back to that Burnley game where we lost 1-0 and he was like acting like a kind of, you know, like angry teenager in his press conference after. I just don't think it's, I don't know. I don't think it's it's healthy. I think, you know, Catherine used the word stability. And I think with Pochettino, that's, you know, we really benefited from that. We did have that stability over time. And um, I don't want to ever use Arsenal as a positive example, especially as I don't think that Arteta is much good as a manager. But just the fact he's been there this long, I think there is some, like, they, they do seem to be a cohesive. They're not a very good team. Absolutely not a very good team. But there does seem to be some team spirit there. Whereas with us, it's like we either show up and blow the other team away or we just don't have any shots. There's just there's this weird, like, jarring inconsistency that... Maybe the sense of uncertainty with Conte kind of feeds into just because he's on a short-term contract. Um, but I'd, lo- I'd love Conte to stay. I really rate him as a manager, but um, 
I'd kind of like, I'd feel better if he kind of maybe said, Hey, I want to stay at Spurs next season. Like, you know, just to give us something to go off instead of this, like, you know, uneasy situation. Um, Poch to kind of flip it just to, just to close out on this. What do you think Jeff about Poch coming back in the, not necessarily this summer, like you're saying, you don't think it's going to happen, but you, do you think that's going to happen? Like, you know, in the future, somewhere down the line, do you think Poch will eventually return? It does feel like it will happen at some point, right? Um, I mean, if Conte does go, Poch would be the logical successor. Um, you know, guys like Harry Kane, who he's still really close to, are still here. So I don't think I don't think Erickson will come back this summer if Poch comes. Uh, but um and somebody on the the View from the Lane podcast, Catherine, somebody pointed out there, wouldn't it be hilarious if Poch came back and then, you know, and Dombele and Lucelso come back from their loans and so Poch turns them into the players he wanted them to be to begin with. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it'll happen now. I do think at some point I could I could definitely see him coming back. So. Yeah. Yeah, what about yourself, Catherine? Do you think that's going to happen? Is it inevitable that he'll oh, come back one, one day? <laughs> I, another good but tough question in that even though I mentioned you never really go back to your ex, I think that in this scenario, if Pochettino came back, which I would love to see him come back, I I was very, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say distraught, but I was just sad when he left that I would love him to come back. I don't think right now is the right time. Mm. And I think that we need to grow as a team uh, in some way, because if he does come back, I'm afraid that the fan base will automatically think that he's supposed to take the team to the Champions League final that year and be at the level that we were when we had him. And it would be like what happened when he was hired and yeah. he had all these, he had, um, I don't know, he had all of these players like Zeki Fryers on the squad. And you're like, he's going to, like what I had mentioned earlier, he's going to get these players out of, out of the team. So then he would be able to incorporate players that he would want. And he might even have a different type of vision or, uh, training routines that the team isn't used to. And so I think it's important that if he ever does come back, that we have realistic expectations for him and the team because the team has matured and grown, but then so has he now, especially after winning Liga. And so I agree with Jeff in that I don't think that he'll come back this summer or uh, in the next uh few months but i could see him coming back maybe when he's a little bit more grizzled of a veteran and and has a few more uh trophies un- as manager under his belt for maybe i mean maybe he goes to i don't know turkey or portugal and and wins something at benfica or some, something like that um and gets a champions league there rather than at psg but i think he is suited for I don't want to say smaller teams, but I think Pochettino is suited for teams like Tottenham where we kind of punch above our weight, yeah. but it's not 
it's not surprising when we do. And so I think that that'll be, um, it'll be a warm welcome back for him whenever he does. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you're right. He is a, like, I hate to use this term. These in football a lot like project. He's a you know, project manager. It's a project. And I think for Poch, that's how he treats his, his jobs. And he, it was a project at Tottenham, right? He built through that young team. He brought the likes of Kane, um, Dyer, etc., through the ranks over time. And I don't think, I, you know, you think maybe when Kane is either retired or if we ever sell him, uh, maybe we don't ever sell him and he retires at Tottenham. I feel like after that, it might be a good time for Poch to come back with a whole new set of players because to the point that I think you made, Catherine, him going back to the same, not the same exact players, but a lot of the same players kind of under, under it, it's not going to work, basically. It kind of undermines the whole thing about what Poch is about. You want him with a fresh slate, fresh players, and I think it could work then. Um, but, you know, we've got a lot of affection for him. He was a great manager for us. Um, I mean, honestly, Pochettino's probably the best manager we've had in the last 30 years. Probably Birkenshaw is the only one you could maybe say did achieve more than Poch. Um, I know people, it, it, it saddens me a bit when people talk about the way he went out, the demise. We were, you know, in a bad place when he left. Um, but he did a great job overall and we should, uh, you know, hold him in high esteem and hope to see him back one day. Um, all righty. So, Leicester. We're going to play Leicester City on Saturday, April the 30th. Um, 9 a.m. local time for us in Chicago. Is that right? No, it's Sunday, isn't it? Sorry, I think this might be out of date. I think we're playing on... Are we playing on Sunday? Sunday at 8 a.m., Thank I believe. you. Central. Yeah. I caught that. I think this was written out before... Because we never play on a Saturday. We've not had a Saturday home game in, a, like, a year. <laughs> That's why I saw it and thought, that can't be right. We don't play at home on a Saturday at a normal time. Uh, sorry, so it's Sunday. Um, okay, so Leicester, let's talk about them a little bit. They're coming off draws against Villa and Everton. Catherine mentioned earlier that they're in a bit of a funk in the league because they also lost to Newcastle as well prior to that. Um, and this game's kind of sandwiched for them in between their two-legged Europa Conference League. The the esteemed competition that is the Europa Conference League. <laughs> they're actually playing Roma, though, so they're not playing some team from Macedonia. or so. They're actually playing... A, yeah, well, it's the semi-finals, I guess. So it's, they're playing a, our old friend Jose's Roma over two legs. And this is the... Now, this is sandwiched in between. Now, that leads me to speculate maybe they may not be exactly focused entirely on this game. Um, and obviously, last time we played Leicester, we had that amazing game, like really amazing game, not as in nil-nil, no shots amazing, but actually exciting game where Bergwijn was the hero with two goals in stoppage time. Um, let's start with you, Jeff. What do you think about this one, sir? How, how are you feeling about the Leicester game? Well, first, I don't think we could take any shots at the Europa Conference League, considering it was too <laughs> tough for us. Well, um, we could even get yeah. on the group stage there. So, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I hope they'll be distracted. That's really all they have to play for. They're you yeah. know they're they're not going up, they're not going down. Um, but they're an open play team, right? And that always plays to our advantage because then we can, you know, we can run, we can hit the long balls, we can counter. So I would expect us to have a much better time against Leicester than we've had in these past couple games. Yep. What do you reckon, Catherine? 
I, uh, I'm optimistic about this game. Unlike I think you were saying <laughs> earlier, Joe, when you, uh, were very down in the dumps, um, and not feeling it, but I, I mainly am more optimistic because they just haven't had that spark this year, especially recently. I know like what you guys are saying that they're in Europa conference league. Um, but they're 10 Newcastle is now above them, wow, which is crazy, wild. Yeah. Um, especially knowing where Newcastle was before, yeah. uh, only a month or two ago. And so I don't know. They're, they're an odd team because they can go hot and cold. They often, I think that they fly under the radar so much too, mm-hmm. because they are middle of the road. They're not as, uh, potent as they were what six years ago and so i optimistic to a fault i think well to a point um but they they always have had some great players and uh i'm sure i actually have a few in my fantasy team but i don't know i they have a really good midfield um i i like Telemans, I like all Belgian players main, mainly, and so whenever we play anybody who has like De Bruyne or Telemans, or when we had our Belgian quad, I uh, I'm very much of a I respect them, and so with Telemans, they have James Madison, um, Indidi, they have some great players, and so I think that that's an area of the pitch that we're going to have to be looking out for. Um, as far as defense though, they have some shaky players. Like whenever we play Soyanku, however yeah. you say his name, sometimes yeah. he's lights out and other times he'll have like four own goals in a game. And so I hope that we get the four own goal. Soyanku when we play them. Oh, the one that taunts Stephen Bergwijn with two minutes to go, and then Bergwijn gets so mad that he decides to just score twice. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what happened, wasn't it, with him last time, Sionchu. Um Yeah, they they definitely... A couple of players you mentioned there, we, we're probably a little lucky that Vardy's been injured for a while. I, I know he came... I think he came on against Aston Villa on Saturday, but it was his first game in several, maybe even... He's been out for a few months. I'm not quite sure exactly how long, but he probably isn't fully fit. And um, and Didi, who you mentioned, Catherine, he's also out for the um, for the season. So he he probably well he definitely won't be playing. Um, but like you say, Madison is a dangerous player. I actually really rate Harvey Barnes. I think he's a really good young player for Leicester. He's a little bit inconsistent, but he's only young. Uh, I think he's a good player. Um, I think that. If they're distracted enough, we should be okay. I mean, my pessimism is just from watching two terrible games that, as you, well, I know you both did, you've obviously got stronger constitutions than me because you're just like, no, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's so bad. How, but I mean, honestly, I, when you've not had a shot in two games, it's just hard to see. But that's how this season's been, kind of like we already talked about. This season's been crazy. You know, we scored nine goals in two games. We were averaging a goal every 20 minutes over those two games every 20 minutes we were scoring now we don't have a shot for two games I mean there's just no logic to it so 
we could blow Leicester away or we could lose like three nil. It's just like you, you don't really know where you are with with, with this team. Um, yeah, so shall we shall we make shall we put our necks on the block and make a prediction? Um, Jeff, let's start with you. What what are you thinking the score is going to be, sir? Um, I'm going to predict three one to us. Um, I think it'll take a while again to get going, but um, once it does, I think the dam will break. So I'm going to say Kane and Son, and I feel like there'll be an unexpected goal. So I'm going to go with Betancourt to score for the first time. Wow. Love that. Catherine, so, what do you think? Yeah, so I was going to say that I'm optimistic, but apparently not as optimistic as Jeff. Uh, I, I've been looking at their, um, even though I had said Ndidi, I should have known because I was just kind of looking through their first team. But also, as I was on their website, I was looking at their stats, and they give up 1.6 goals per match. And then they get 1.5 goals per match. And so, yeah, they're very middle of the road. Like, okay, they might get one. Um, But in the case of my prediction, I'm going to say they get none. And it'll be a 1-0 game to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And I think that my... uh, I had a, a, a Dutch flatmate when I lived in England and so I got turned on to the the Dutch way of life and and I'm going to and I just have a little bit of a of a soul connection with Stevie Bergvine so I think I'm going to say that Stevie B is my player of the moment for the match yeah he definitely likes he likes playing against them based mm-hmm. on the last game yeah, for sure. Just, just the one goal, though, this time. Oh, just, yeah, just yeah. the one. But it's going to be in the 96th minute or something, right? Oh, just to... <laughs> Let's hope not. No, don't don't make us suffer. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I, again, love that optimism. And my negative prediction that I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to put the upside, which is if Tottenham do win, then based on my other predictions, they will get fourth place. So this is this is this is how big that is. Um, I I can just see this been another frustrating one. We're really we just look so short of ideas. I think maybe what'll happen is we will toil a little bit and get a penalty. I think we're gonna score a penalty, but I think it's gonna be a draw. Unfortunately, I can see like James Madison putting like a thirty-yard free kick in or something, and maybe Kane. Gets a penalty, but it's it's not enough. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> so is yours one one? One one is what I'm oh, going okay. for. Yeah, one one is what I'm going for. It just like I say, I what I'm doing here is a public service benefit for all Spurs fans because my predictions this season are horrific. It's like to the point of it defies the laws of probability. Like you'd think every now and again they've got to be right, but they're wrong, like spectacularly so. So this will probably be like a 6-0 Tottenham win. I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that the two of you, Jeff and Catherine, you know, you looked at those fixtures and you're feeling good about it. This game could honestly be pivotal. Um, this, this, like my dire 1-1 prediction, if we win this game, then we could be good for fourth. So um, the season that's dragged on for five years could could finally be over in, in a good place. But um 
yeah, that's where we are. Any any closing words of wisdom, Jeff or Catherine? Mine's not a, a word of wisdom, but I want to send condolences and all of the love from Four Star Spurs to our friends down in Austin Spurs because uh, one of their uh, Austin Spurs members, Eric, he passed away last week at four, age of 41. And so just sending all of our love down to Texas and and we're all behind you and and uh, yeah hearts go out to you yeah wow i'm really sorry to hear that i wasn't wasn't aware of that but absolutely echo those sentiments Catherine. Uh, sincere condolences from all of us about, about that um when we were in nashville a few years ago we met a few austin spurs fans they were quite a, one of the bigger presences there if i remember rightly and i know they've got a big group down in down in austin um and you know that's like i think so following spurs in the u.s that's one of the the great things is obviously with COVID, we've not had the, you know, the tours and, and all those activities that we'd had previously, but just being able to meet up with other Spurs fans and different groups is such a fun experience. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, let's hope we can do that again soon. Um, Jeff, any thoughts on what we got going on then? Any, um, give me, give me some more. I still need some more. <laughs> you still not, need some more. Like, You've not wiped me over. I need an, I need tipping over the edge from my my state of kind of just perpetual misery of. Uh, you know, being in fourth place is a curse. So Arsenal's <laughs> gonna fall out of it, right? Anybody who goes in there doesn't stay long. So I yeah, that that's my my words of wisdom. I don't see why the season's suddenly gonna change in the last five weeks. Um, I think Arsenal stumble out of that spot. Um, just like we did and United did and West Ham did and, you know, and any team that's touched it is, has uh, failed. So I like that. That's so true. Honestly, I, I've, I've got to say this, whoever gets fourth this season, maybe the worst team to ever get Champions League football, honestly, because it's been like you say, Jeff, like it's, it's a, almost a com- comical situation. You know, Arsenal lose three in a row to like mid-table teams and then you're thinking oh great we're good we're good now Arsenal have got Chelsea and then United Man United and somehow Arsenal win those games I do think they were a little lucky I've got to say in both of them but whatever and then we managed to completely mess up our easy fixtures as well so that's a really good point and yes no one's capable of holding on to it so so that's that's something to be optimistic about awesome well I want to thank you both Jeff and Catherine for giving some um, optimism and also providing some good conversation based on a dreadful game of football that we had to <laughs> to, to, to go off. So much appreciated for that. So um, I'm going to close up. I'm going to say thanks to Tommy for editing and sound, Anthony for scheduling, Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, the Atlantic Bar and Grill for a place to watch. Find our merchandise at Big Head Media. Find us now on both Spotify and Stitcher. Hit the subscribe button and write us a review on iTunes if you like our pod. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Fast Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.